Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson. With me tonight is Kara Uselman, who is showing the cohesion of bodies for the five Saturdays in July at the Farmer's Market, and it's being presented by the Raimi Modern. Thanks for joining me, Kara. Thanks for having me. So the cohesion of bodies, as I was mentioning, this is an ongoing series, and it's showing different works from your existing body of works each week. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. So each week I've chosen a different work to show with the hopes that the farmer's market regulars who take an interest and see the work every week, there's kind of a loose, open-ended narrative that unfolds, um, as well as, or or a development of a material language that unfolds over the course of five weeks. Well, it's certainly a different venue to be showing at, as we were speaking about, than a gallery or yes. you know, something more formal. But you also, as you were mentioning, get repeat viewers. So is it causing you to sort of look at how you're presenting your work differently? Or Definitely. It's different than a gallery in a few ways. Um, specifically, just having to set it up at 7 in the morning and then take it down right away, rather than setting up for an exhibition that's going to be on for six weeks. And then there's also weather factoring into the equation. Um, but yeah, having said that, an outside the gallery format can also be very freeing as well because the white cube also has many limitations. Many limitations both in terms of the audience and the way the work is viewed? Yeah, and what you can show as well. So you're not a stranger to the market. You have, um, with your partner Jeff, sold there as Nokomis, is that right? Yeah, yes. I'm familiar with the market. My mom had has a farmer's market business. The Prairie so Pie I'm, Company. The correct? Prairie Pie Company. So I've participated or worked for her over the course of the years. And then my partner Jeff opened a microbrewery a couple of years ago. And so I worked with him at the market as well for a couple of years. What's it been like, though, coming and now showing something fairly... I mean, because before you're obviously showing what people expect, and now you're showing something very different. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's been a very interesting process, actually. Um, I get to see how people react to the work when they're not in a setting when they're not necessarily expecting to encounter art. So, and it's also been valuable for me just to see how people react to the work. Yeah, uh, how people are drawn in by certain objects or repelled by certain things. For the viewers who may not be familiar, would you mind describing some of the work that you have shown so far at the market? Sure. Um, Well, we started uh, with a poster project giveaway, so which I think we still have a few posters to give away and the poster is I like to call it a do-it-yourself poster giveaway so the post and that comes out of a previous work where I showed what I called a build your own sculpture piece which was a poster that showed in a gallery and it said build your own and then it gave instructions on how to go about making a work of art using ecological principles and then the image was just a full-scale ruler. So this poster for the farmer's market, it's kind of a ready-made in a way. It's um, from a 
book of do-it-yourself solar projects that I have, so patterns to make different solar projects. So I just took a pattern for the solar dehydrator project and laid it out onto a poster format. But the poster itself is very, like, it's just black outline shapes on a white piece of paper. So my intent was people could do with it what they wanted, like kids could color it, color the shapes in, or cut it out. That's my personal favorite, is being left with the negative space, so the poster becomes almost a sculpture, or you could make the project. So yeah, there's a poster project. Then the first week I showed a piece called River Archive, which started a number of years ago as part of a piece called The Cavernous Projects, in which I developed a fictional narrative about a movement of people that believed in a mythical element called Cavernite. So Cavernite is an element that was written about by H.G. Wells in the 1890s, and it's believed to have anti gravitational properties. So the Cavarists are a group that I conceived of that believed that this mythical element could possibly exist and they spent a hundred years traveling around looking for it and kind of developing their own subculture. So the River Archive started as part of the Cavarists Archive or Cavernous projects, but then I continued that piece just because I thought it was a nice piece that I could keep working on over the years. So I started in 2009, so it's been seven years, and it also kind of doubles as a travel diary. So as I travel around, when I can, I collect small samples of river water and just kind of nice because it gets you out to see like the different rivers and different areas and I feel like there's a lot of different ways you can read that work as well. If I'm not mistaken then too that's building thematically off of some of the archaeological influences that often show up in your work? Yeah so a lot of my work yeah I've been drawing on the archaeology in lots of different ways and primarily the way that I, I kind of interpret archaeology is sort of the stories or histories that objects have and playing with that idea, creating fictional stories for objects and yeah, the river archive. It's also a way of, I guess, pointing out that things can be there's so many different ways to read things or look at things and then using some of our own history as a starting point then or yeah yeah well and then the third week you were bringing bricks that you made oh yeah so then next piece i brought was papercrete bricks which is a modular sculpture papercrete is a material that as far as i know it's an experimental building technology that a group of people in the states were kind of inventing I guess and so I started making my own paper greet bricks and it's a modular sculpture so it can it's I've shown it a few times and it can because they're bricks you can show them in different forms Mm. and in this case I showed them stacked on a pallet right and I like that piece because I feel like it kind of embodies a lot of different themes that I work with in my work because when you look at them, 
it's like you're not really sure if this is like a failed utopian experiment is it something from the past is it something from the future it looks like a ruin i don't know it's to me there's like all different kinds of ways that you can see that work interesting and building off this idea of new building materials when you're talking about like projecting to the future i feel like there's like an undercurrent of my work which isn't necessarily intentional i was just thinking about this but there's always like this almost like the failure of the object always comes through somehow <laughs> so like the failure of the consumer object or the failure of the art object or and and the paper creep bricks i like too because they speak to like the failure of the utopian dream but somehow mm. it's still optimistic but this idea that we can never really build what we want to build as we want to build it yeah i don't know okay it's not an intended reading necessarily but i think that it's definitely there and then one of the other aspects that comes through in this is the fact that you're present with your work each week which Mm -hmm. is also you're showing different work every week so it's this like as you said it's not like you're setting up in a gallery and then leaving it but then you're also the you're not leaving it with someone else to discuss your work you're often there for people to talk to you about what what has that been like what um it's been fun and hard at the same time it was funny the first week that when i showed the river archive i thought that that would be something that the people who frequent the farmer's market could really tap into because i feel like there's a lot of ecological kind of underpinnings to the work but The thing that was funny is I noticed people were really intrigued by the different bottles and whatnot, but once they found out it was art, it was very difficult for them to conceive how that would be considered artwork because the audience isn't necessarily people who encounter that type of work very often. Or maybe who go to galleries that often or... So it was actually an issue with the label to some extent that people had. Like they were interested in it as almost like an archaeological study. Yes, yeah. But when you were trying to call it art, or I shouldn't say trying to call it art, but when they understood that this was an art project, that's when they it became challenging. Yeah. Huh. And yeah, so that's interesting. And yeah, so sometimes it's been hard, but all in all, it's been a very good experience. But asking you to engage with your audience or engage with new audiences in very different ways too, hey? Yeah, and it's fun to experiment and see, like, that's, I'm so happy that I chose to show different work every week so that I can see how people do respond to different things. As we were talking about, your work often builds from sort of an archaeological perspective mm-hmm. or investigating objects, is that correct? Like, Yeah, so I started working with found objects as an art student at Emily Carr in Vancouver, primarily because I just thought there's already so much stuff in the world that I didn't personally feel a need to create more, or just the fact that I found that that was too much weight on my shoulders, like, what can I possibly make that's important, even though I think it is really important for people to still make things (laughs) it was just hard for me so I started working with found objects and once I finished school I mentored with an archaeologist who studied domestic backyards and so with him I started doing an 
archaeological dig in the backyard of my rented house in Vancouver. And that kind of just put me on that project and working with him kind of put me on this whole, I guess, like started my practice in terms of, yeah, looking at things through that kind of lens, although I don't really use like the science of archaeology. But some of the language or the ways of looking at objects, like did the way that he would talk about our objects inform sort of how you were using them or? Well, I think he he was coming from it, like always trying to specifically find out exactly what the object had been, trying to date it by its material quality, all different ways of dating things, right? And working with him made me realize that I was more interested, like my interest in archaeology actually comes out of um, like a curiosity about the object's past. So not necessarily the technical details. Exactly. But the idea of the role it played in people's lives or... And just kind of the magic, like when you find something, for example, that's buried in the ground. And usually like a lot of archaeological objects are garbage that have been left behind by different civilizations. But after it's been buried and forgotten about and then rediscovered, it somehow contains all these other mysterious qualities. And it allows you to bring your own stories or your own ideas to it? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, I mean, that's been a huge problem in archaeology, I think, is that you're always, you can never read something outside of, completely outside of your own lens, your own experience. You're always tainting your reading of things through your own experiences and your own culture. So that's something that I play with a bit where you're moving away from any effort to read an object outside your culture and reality just bringing your own stories to this yeah yeah exactly does it become less important the actual role that object may have played compared to like the role it can have in your own imaginary or yeah yeah that's exactly right i guess part of it too is that working with found objects i'm always working with assembling things so it's like in some ways these narratives are like a type of glue that I use rather than using physical glue and I like the fact that they an object can have so many different like endless different lives or incarnations so it can exist as one thing and then be discarded and then become something else for someone else or yeah it becomes something in its own right for you rather than trying to still serve the role it did for that last person. Right, yeah. yeah. Interesting. You've taken these objects and then used them in various forms. You've built installations where these objects are included often or actually built sculptures using them sometimes. Is that right? Yeah, and I think this is partly where the title comes from, the cohesion of bodies, the title for the work that's showing at the farmer's market. It was inspired by a book about the fermentation process so that was a description describing the fermentation process but I also picked that title because I was interested also because like I'm picking different pieces from different bodies of work and putting them together to create a new kind of narrative but also I think in lots of my work it's always about how to assemble things in different ways so 
using narrative as a way of assembling, bringing disparate objects together that don't necessarily belong together. Or I've done a bunch of um, magnetic stalactites. So that's using found metal relics and attaching them to the ceiling that hang from one another using magnets. Hmm. I don't know. So it's just kind of exploring at its most base level a different way of putting things together and taking them apart, I guess. You were talking about how you're bringing your own narratives to these objects, but I was reading too, because you lived in Germany for a year, is that right? Or Yeah, yeah, I was there. But at some point you decided to move home yeah. so that these objects were still coming from a history more closely tied to your own or? Yeah, so I lived in Berlin. I worked with a gallery over there and so I moved over there for a couple of years. But yeah, I found it was really difficult to, because also like Berlin and Germany, there's so much loaded history there. So for me, it was always weird, like taking objects out of context and a history that I don't have a very good grasp on. I didn't grow up with it, you know, I'm just coming in as an outsider. And so, yeah, I guess choice to move home for different reasons but yeah also just this is the this is the country that I want to work from (laughs) that I want to base my practice in because of somewhat because I feel more I don't know familiar with the history and and so when you're talking about these objects that you're finding and I'm thinking too of that rental house that you excavated the backyard of how far back are these objects going are they still from like settlement or is this going back to like pre-settlement or oh well at different things like in my backyard in vancouver those objects would have been i don't know 100 years old at the most because you know like that that house only existed for so many it was about 100 years old okay But it was cool because throughout the process, my mentor was more scientific about it. But it was great because the neighbors, a lot of people in the neighborhood, people that I would never have normally encountered, stopped and we had a lot of conversations and I found out so much history about the house and the neighborhood. And yeah, it was a really interesting project. You're from Saskatoon originally. Yeah. But then moved to Emily Carr for your undergrad? Well, I moved to Vancouver before I even decided to go to Emily Carr. I moved there to work in a record store. I dropped out of university, actually. <laughs> I was going to U of S studying urban planning and economics okay. here. And then my third year, I dropped out, much to my family's dismay. <laughs> and moved to Vancouver to work in a record store and just because I'd gone to high school here and I needed a change of environment I think and it was my roommate who said I should apply to Emily Carr because I'd always made art but I never really conceived of it as a career so I did that on a whim and I got in and I went to Emily Carr which was an amazing experience for me and then I lived in Vancouver for a number of years after that. And it wasn't until I started working with a commercial gallery in Berlin that I moved there. And I loved my time in Berlin. Sometimes I regret leaving there, but 
it was time to move closer to home? I just had a longing for home, and I'd always had a romantic notion about moving back to Saskatchewan and moving out to the country and getting like a cheap house in rural Saskatchewan somewhere. I guess I always call it a life experiment, our move to rural Saskatchewan, an ongoing life experiment. Mm. So I don't know, it's tough being an artist there because you have, I have no like direct community of peers. I have my geographical community, but yeah. But as in any smaller center, it's that, you know, artists are always that small percentage of a population. So as you get too small and smaller and smaller centers, there just aren't a lot of other there are no like other it. artists in Nokomis is where I currently live. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that part's been a challenge. On the other hand, it's the I have the only stable living arrangement I've ever had as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> the balance between being able to afford to live as an artist in, in Ex- that respect. Yeah. As opposed to trying to do so in somewhere like Vancouver, which is... Yeah, yeah, or any major city in the world, yeah. But the opportunities are much less, of course. So it's... And the other thing, I think, which I... Like, you know, of course, what it felt like it made it possible to move out of the larger centers is this emergence of the internet. Right. And social media and all of that. But I'm not a person who loves looking at my computer screen. In fact, I'm the very opposite. So that part's been a bit of a challenge too. Figuring out for myself, which I think I still haven't totally figured out, is how do you make a go of this Hmm. in a place that's so disconnected from the arts community? Well, and not, I mean as much as we do have a vibrant arts community here you're still disconnected from that larger one that you were in in vancouver or berlin yeah definitely was it helpful then that you were able to establish some of these connections then obviously before moving back to yeah yeah for sure but it's tough to keep them going because you're not there and people don't you know i used to have people coming to do studio visits all the time and now i'm lucky if i have one person come to see my studio in a year right yeah so i think like from what i've been challenged with is finding a way maybe like a different way of working okay somehow that's yeah in terms of the way you're working with feedback or the way you're working in that sort of community space yeah both Part of what I've been doing is making these improvisational sculptures. This week I'm showing a piece called um, Expanded Radio, which is like, I call it a moving concept. So it's an idea, but every time I show it, it's different. One of the first times I showed it was actually at AKA in 2011. This is your first show with your partner? Yeah, it was part of Warblers, a collaboration with my partner, Jeff Allport takes on different incarnations every time same as the magnetic stalactite which i touched on a couple minutes ago so it's like these ideas that are just using found objects so i call them improvisational sculptures which work well for traveling because you don't have to like everyone is so all the arts budgets and what everyone's so tight on shipping and travel money and so it's a real challenge to show sculpture unless right. you're an extre- like a very established artist. 
do you go and find objects in the new space where you're showing the sculpture? Yeah. And then build from there. Yeah. But to my understanding, this was still one that builds from a, a core concept of the idea of taking the structure of a radio, the circuit board of a radio out. Yes. So the expanded radio, how it works is it takes a radio. So that's the one thing that I can either bring with me or because they're becoming more and more rare. There actually used to be a dime a dozen at any thrift shop or flea market, but now it's actually kind of hard to find radios. But so it takes a radio, and then I just sort of randomly run the circuit board through a series of found objects. So soldering wire into the circuit board and then running it through found objects that have conductive qualities to them. Does this change the quality of the radio then? I'm yeah, so it changes the sound, and it's kind of like I'm not um, electronics genius or anything so i'm not even i've taken electronics a little bit but it's not like meant to be super technical work it's meant to be more imaginative so yeah right and but still playing with all these found objects and how they can still contribute to building a circuit yeah yeah exactly and how they might change different shapes or different conductive materials can change the quality of yeah, and then it's quite nice too because you're working with these found, these atmospheric waves that exist in our environment. So it's also pointing to this invisible environment that we're constantly adding more and more to. The idea of all the radiation or sound waves that are being given off of, well, both the earth, I guess, but also what all the things that we're putting into it. Yeah, so like when you think of like... For example, how they had to get rid of analog television a few years ago because there's so much, so many, like, cell phone bandwidth was crowding out. They had to get rid of, you know, having the rabbit ears on your TV. You can't get television that way anymore. We're actually filling up the radio wave space. Exactly, yeah. Interesting. And then the last week, we don't need to really give it away for people, but do you want to give any indication of what will be coming? Yeah, so the last week I'm showing a new piece, which I'm specifically making for the farmer's market. And it came to me just based on my experiences and how people are reacting to the different works. So the last week I'm going to show a piece that again is a little bit different that kind of uses the actual space that we're standing on a little bit more or points to it in a way that's different than the other works which were more like art objects being exhibited on a plinth. Right that starts to be site specific and interact with that space. Exactly yeah. Well, and great. And you've been working on this exhibition or this ongoing series with Troy Gronsdahl as yeah. curator at the Ramey. And what has that experience been like? It's been great. I've really enjoyed working with Troy. And I also have learned a lot because I think that he's very good at presentation aspects. So it's been, and it's been nice working with him because he has a lot of energy to and he wants everything to work out and look good and yeah i really appreciate that bringing that positive support especially at seven in the morning i'm guessing yeah and he has a discerning eye so he's it's good i would end by asking what are you sort of hoping people take away from this experience or is there something that you're Um, hoping i think 
like over the course of the five weeks, one of the things is just, I guess for me, because I'm kind of, my practice is a bit new to Saskatchewan in some ways. So it's like, you know, developing this, showing people this material language that I try to build up. So my sculptures, you can take them at face value, but I hope that after the five weeks, people can see that there's more there than just decor, you know, because my work doesn't function very well on a decorative level. (laughs) Not intended to, right? Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Sort of bringing some of discussion and hopefully some knowledge about your work to the public more generally since as you say you're from here but have been showing so much elsewhere yeah exactly you've shown at the vague in vancouver the vancouver art gallery correct and at power plant and yeah is it i forget the name of the german summer and coal yeah showing it at quite a few different uh, very well known and larger spaces but now having these dialogues on a much more open but different level right yeah yeah do you have hopes otherwise of sort of where you want your work to move to now? Or is that sort of in the future um, that you sort of consider that? Well, I've been thinking a lot about sort of like social practice aspects to work okay. and looking. And also, um, yeah, like I said, I have come to these improvisational sculptures. But yeah, I just think that working a little more conceptually kind of makes sense for me and being located where I am so that you're not dealing with so much material. So then how you're involving the communities where the work is being shown or the communities where you are? Well, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Actually, I just got some research money to start looking at artists in rural locations, different ways that artists are working or different art initiatives that people are undertaking in rural locations. So that's something that I'm going to delve into this fall more to kind of expand my idea. Or I think it's just so important right now with everything that's going on in the world and with funding, you know, funding for the arts is so fragile seemingly fragile i think it's i just feel like it's important there's important work that needs to be done and i'm just figuring out what my voice in that conversation might look like specific to being located in rural saskatchewan well thanks kara appreciate you coming on thank you you've been listening to unframed conversations about the arts on cfcr 90.5 fm in saskatoon A reminder that you can connect with us through social media. We're Unframed Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you'd like to listen to this episode again or any of our past episodes, you can listen to our podcast at unframedradio.com or on iTunes. Thank you and have a good evening.